This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Uh, about a, once every month, we need to do a catch-up show. Today is that show. We go through a lot of material we've piled up and see if we can't uh, clear the deck. We may have some uh, some input from some old friends of ours here. We'll see how that goes. I know that just having one voice during a program is just, you know, I don't know. All things considered, I'd like to hear a different voice. But I think of this because, for reasons I don't want to get into, I've had to listen to talk radio the last week. And I, I don't know. I, I don't understand why any human being whose wits were about him would listen to Rush Limbaugh or Tom Sullivan. Plainly, they don't know what they're talking about. They appear to just make stuff up. They go over the same ground endlessly, ad nauseum. And they're definitely not amusing fellows. So why are they big hits on the radio? I don't know. I have a sneaking suspicion that at least one of them is subsidized, but uh, that's mainly speculation on my part. Let's start this show, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 4th of June. On this date in 740 B.C., Chinese observers record the occurrence of a total solar eclipse. And there'll be one again in China on the 22nd of this year. Seems pretty clear this correspondent will not be in attendance, but I know that some of you out there listening uh, may be in a position to see this event, and we, we're going to depend on you when the time comes. On June 4th of 1912, Massachusetts passed the first minimum wage law in the United States. By 1923, 14 other states and the District of Columbia had followed suit. Here's one I did not know at all. On June 4th of 1918, just days after the first U.S. troops joined the Allies fighting in World War I, the confrontation actually reached American territory. The port of New York was closed after nine ships off the Atlantic coast were sunk by German U-boats. German mines turned up in Delaware Bay. One year later, June 4, 1919, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which granted American women the right to vote, passed the Senate with a resounding vote of 56 to 25. But that was enough. It was sent to the states for ratification and became law the next year. It is the unfortunate opinion of many political observers that uh, women getting the right to vote was the reason why Warren G. Harding, who, doggone it, looked like he ought to be president, was elected in a landslide in 1920. By most historians' reckoning, Warren G. Harding was one of the worst American presidents in recent memory his execrableness being exceeded only by that of George W. Bush. Execrableness? What the hell does that mean? Execrable means conspicuous for bad quality, so I just added the ness on the end. Technically, I suppose egregious means conspicuous for bad quality, whereas execrable means utterly detestable. You happy now? Yes, I am. <laughs> All right. On this date in 1940, the last of 338,000 British troops were evacuated from Dunkirk in northern France, where they'd been driven back by the Nazis. The thrown-together fleet that rescued them contained many private vessels, such as motor launches and fishing boats, often piloted by their civilian owners. These little ships played a vital part in rescuing troops from the beaches after ships sunk by German aircraft made the harbor inaccessible. 
With the Navy expecting to be able to rescue only 30,000 of the troops, this operation turned defeat into a national triumph. And the term Dunkirk spirit became a lasting byword for cooperation in times of trouble. In fact, this country could use a little Dunkirk spirit right now. And finally, it was on June 4th in 1965 that the English rock group The Rolling Stones released Satisfaction, one of their most enduring hits. Oh, I think, Mr. Maryland, you pointed out at one time that Mick Jagger himself said that probably the best version was done by Devo. quote of the day comes from author Henry Drummond, who said, Unless a man undertakes more than he can possibly do, he will never do all that he can. With a uh, bonus quote coming from author Victor Hugo, who once said, The learned man knows that he is ignorant. Our quote of the day comes from David Letterman, who said, General Motors filed for bankruptcy. Said they owe $175 billion and filed for bankruptcy. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? You know what that means. GM filing for bankruptcy? I'll tell you. It means another enormous bonus for their CEO. That's what it means. <laughs> our, statistic of, our stat of the day, apparently illegal immigrants have given birth to about 4 million children on U.S. soil, according to a Pew study. These children are U.S. citizens by right of birth, making about 8.8 million members 8.8 million people, members of mixed status families, in which some members are citizens and some face potential deportation. That's according to the San Jose Mercury News. All right, I think let's just do the good, the bad, and the ugly, shall we? By the way, if I haven't noted noted this recently, it's really fun having your own radio program. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for breaking away with the news that 200 French prisoners will compete in a 1,400-mile bicycle race to foster their self-esteem. And no, I'm not making this up. According to the magazine, the prisoners' tour de France will be monitored by 124 guards, also on bicycles. It's kind of an escape for us, said one prisoner. Well, yeah, I guess guess it would be. They added it was a chance to break away from the daily reality of prison. I kind of thought that's why it was called prison. You know, we're going to have to get some, some input from our bicycling correspondent, Mr. Paul Dorn, on that one. We'll see if we give him a call a little bit later. Apparently it was a, a bad week uh, last week also for conservative radio hosts when it turned out that Eric Mankow Muller, who apparently has a radio program in Chicago, decided to test out this idea that uh, waterboarding was something more than harsh interrogation. 
So apparently Mueller underwent waterboarding during his live radio program. He was strapped to a seven-foot board with his feet slightly elevated. A wet towel was placed over his face and water poured into his nose. Personally, my hat's off to Mr. Mueller for doing this in the wake of people like Rush Limbaugh saying it was, you know, no worse than some fraternity hazing. Turned out within seven seconds, Mueller desperately signaled for the treatment to stop. He then said, quote, it was way worse than I thought it would be, unquote. Adding, it was instantaneous, and and I don't want to say this, absolutely torture. Anyway, I actually have to say, well done, Mr. Mueller. Let's let's give him a let's give him a round of applause. Yes, we'd have to agree that a, a technique uh, pioneered by the Spanish Inquisition and used by the Axis regime in World War II, it probably isn't something the U.S. government really ought to be doing a lot of. As even some of my Republican friends have, have pointed out, well, you know, if police forces aren't allowed to use it, it can't be that benign. And finally, it was an ugly week last week, I would say probably for all of us, but more specifically for Jonathan Lee Riches, also known as Johnny Tsunami, whom the Guinness Book of World Records named as the most litigious man in history for having filed more than 4,000 lawsuits against parties ranging from George W. Bush to Britney Spears and Nostradamus. Now, how you can sue a man dead for centuries, I don't know, but we this is America we're talking about. Said uh, Johnny Tsunami, Guinness had defamed him. He's vowed to sue. All right, let's do some only in America file type items. We have numerous, uh, numerous of these. Let's start with this one. In an ironic twist, email scammers are using the name of Ruth Madoff, the wife of convicted con man Bernie Madoff, in that uh, classic scam supposedly seeking help in finding her hidden cash. These email messages suggest that uh, Ms. Madoff is looking for help and secretly moving her assets to a safe location. Previous letters of this type originating from Nigeria have used the name of deposed African dictators or other renowned men suspecting of having large amounts of criminal wealth. Anyway, another example of how you really can't cheat an honest man. How about this one? Scott Seymour of Grand Rapids, Michigan, had apparently debated recently whether to euthanize his nine-year-old pet bullfrog. Supposedly, the bullfrog named Brittany was dying of a stomach cancer. But uh, apparently, Scott decided to give Brittany some steroids to ease the pain of, of her last few weeks of life, and his decision paid off when his house caught fire and a barking Brittany woke him up. Both Master and Bullfrog Pet escaped safely. She never, ever barks when I'm sleeping, said Seymour. She was demanding that I get up, and it saved my life. So think about that next time you're contemplating euthanizing your bullfrog. Here's an item we have courtesy of the Humor Times, our good pal James Israel's publication. In the weird news section, it notes that 85% of the fish on the menu may not be the fish on the menu. Apparently, an NBC News investigation in Kansas City, Missouri, discovered that 85% of area restaurants surveyed used cheaper fish in place of the one listed on their menus. Instead of Red Snapper, they served mostly tilapia, which costs five times less. Even the Red Snapper restaurant chain was caught serving something that wasn't Red Snapper. NBC extracted DNA samples from the fish ordered from 20 popular local restaurants and sent them to a research institute for testing. These results shocked them. 
not just because the fish substitution was so prevalent, prevalent, but because it's illegal. According to the U.S. Government Accounting Office report, the specific species of fish or shellfish must be listed to notify consumers with food allergies of a particular type of fish species. But uh, one sushi restaurant manager went so far as to say that the substitution was an accepted industry standard, unquote. And it does appear that the culprit in all this appears to be the fish suppliers. Most of the restaurants believed that what they ordered from their vendors was what they served in their restaurants. I tell you, when you got to DNA test your dinner, you know things aren't right. And according to Parade Magazine last Sunday, Americans have taken a look at the fact that the U.S. Mint is spending 1.4 cents to produce every penny. And now 50% of Americans say, yeah, it's time for the penny to go. And we agree. And uh, how about this item from New Mexico? In a rare public appearance, George W. Bush, remember him, said that uh, no longer serving as president of the U.S. has been liberating to him. Addressing graduating seniors at a high school in Artesia, New Mexico, Bush said, I no longer feel that great sense of responsibility I had when I was in the Oval Office. Adding that he realized that his life was returning to normal when Barney, the family dog, stopped to relieve himself during a walk with Bush. There I was, he said, former president of the United States of America with a plastic bag in my hand. Well, we know what he means. Barack Obama's been going around with a very large plastic bag now since January 20th. Since leaving office, Bush had given only one speech. That was in Canada. He's reportedly now hard at work writing a memoir of his presidency. And I really can't, the, can't resist the joke, which if you're tuning in for the first time, you'll be hearing for the first time, which is that we've always felt that before someone writes a book, they should read one. Many of my more liberal friends are getting kind of upset with Obama. In fact, there's kind of a buzz out there asking, is Obama just a more eloquent Bush? Well, in in the wake of the fact that they're just earmarking another $100 billion for the fiasco in Iraq, uh, we understand understand their frustration. But looking at the big picture, we'd give them about an A- so far. I I know that some would like to see those photos from uh, Abu Ghraib uh, be made public, but, uh, you know... I may have to side with him on this one. Allegedly, there are photographs existing of of people in uniform raping prisoners. This is reprehensible, and something uh, something needs to be done about it. But letting those pub letting those photographs loose in the public is going to get some people killed, and may not be a good idea. You know, Seymour Hirsch made mention of this a couple years ago. We we referred to it on the show about how there was stuff that was much worse out there. I must say, it it boggles the mind to contemplate the reports that, you know, a male translator was allowed to rape another male interrogatee, and that someone thought, hey, let's let's take a picture of this. And uh, we mentioned, uh, in terms of some gay rights issues last week, about how uh, when Fidel Castro took over Cuba, homosexuals were imprisoned. The new regime thought they could be cured by being sent to work camp. Well, you know, apparently the other, one of the other great egalitarian uh, experiments, that of Russia, of course it's no longer the Soviet Union, but apparently, uh, according to the Monterey Herald, May 17th edition, article reprinted from the LA Times, in Moscow, a gay march was thwarted, first by plainclothes security men coming in, clustering in jeans, leather jackets, and pointy black shoes. Then policemen joined them in gray uniforms and stiff hats, and then bulky men in large suits who appeared to be in charge. A bus of riot police finally arrived 
dressed in camouflage. According, according to the paper, as the crowd of security grew and tensions thickened, uh, one security man uh, pushed a colleague. They are not even here yet, and Max is already flirting with me, he joked. Take him away from me, guys. Nearby, a stocky policeman held his portable radio, radio listening to the scratchy commands from above, which were, Get all of them! Yes, the policeman said to his supervisor, But how do we know who's gay? Apparently, the demonstration near Moscow's Sparrow Hills lasted all of about one minute before the protesters in the march were grabbed. And there's photographs here of one man in a suit and tie being with, with, with basically a security man on each extremity. Yuri Lushkov, the Kremlin-backed mayor of Moscow, had described the gay marches as satanic. Apparently, when a man in a wedding dress arrived, he was shoved kicking and screaming into the bus, carting people away. After that, reportedly, the scene melted into a sort of free-for-all as frustrated police set upon and hauled away anyone who gave interviews to reporters. We do hope that American gay rights activists can extend a helping hand to their brethren in Moscow. On a completely different topic, uh, we have some news from the U.K. By now, I imagine most of you have seen that clip of Susan Boyle, who appeared on Britain's Got Talent and who then stunned the judges uh, when she opened up her mouth and sang. Well, it's apparently made the international news that Susan Boyle failed to advance to the show's final round and was beaten out by a dance troupe. Our friend Don in Los Angeles has a kind of conspiracy theory about this, noting that the incredibly catty panel of judges on Britain's Got Talent got a lot of credit for, uh, for giving Susan Boyle the award and saying nice things to her which we had to admit did sound awfully much like, oh, you know, you're so dowdy and nothing like the glitterati sitting up here on the dais. And yet we're quite surprised to note that you appear to have talent. How remarkable. And of course, once Susan Boyle was recognized in advance, then they can go back to their nasty, vicious, catty ways again. I know one thing's for sure. We haven't, heard, we haven't heard the last of Susan Boyle, and I hope she can handle all the nastiness that's going to come her way. And, uh, how about this item? A few months back in Newsweek, Dahlia Lithwick uh, wrote an article about, um, about a, new, a new book titled Life Without Lawyers by author Philip K. Howard, who also wrote uh, The Death of Common Sense. Howard goes on at great length about how uh, America seems to be run by lawyers. Painting a bleak picture of an America that is all gray powerlessness, a nation of citizens shuffling around in fear of litigation while municipalities tear down, quote, dangerous, unquote, climbing structures, and children come for themselves with double stuff Oreos. And I must say, when this nation has 80% of the world's lawyers, despite having only 4% of the world's population, it does make you a little bit nervous. And our nervousness was made oh so much worse by a story we promised we'd follow up on, and I guess this is the time. A year and a half ago, on Christmas Day 2007, several numbskull kids went down to San Francisco's zoo and decided it would be fun to taunt the tiger. They found discarded bottles of vodka, a slingshot, various rocks in the enclosure where these guys had spent quite a bit of time throwing things and agitating the large caged cat. In fact, the efforts, mainly by Kulbir and Amirpal Dalewal, 
managed to get their friend Carlos Souza mauled to death by the Siberian tiger, which in its uh, enraged state managed to leap over the wall, something that no tiger had ever done. Anyway, witnesses came by, observed this uh, disgusting behavior, and um, this got a guy killed. You would think that these two brothers might have served some time for the fact that they got uh, their pal planted six feet under, but no, this is America. In fact, those two boys from San Jose are now going to get a check for $900,000 from the city of San Francisco as part of a settlement in a civil lawsuit. Kulbir and Amitar originally filed a lawsuit last November that blamed city officials and the zoo for their injuries sustained during the attack. They also sought damages for defamation in the aftermath of the incident. The brothers furthermore amended their complaints a couple weeks ago to seek additional claims alleging the city was attempting to bully them into not seeking a civil lawsuit by threatening to issue an arrest warrant for manslaughter in the death of their friend. And uh, we don't we don't know this, but I, apparently their lawyer uh, raising the ante in this got the settlement. I don't know. It's what it seems like, according to the reporting. A couple decades back, I took the better part of a year and traveled around the world. And wherever I went, people would ask me, is it true in America you can sue for X and win? And the X in this case is about you know five or ten different things that had gotten in the news back then. One I do remember quite clearly was the case of the guy that uh, sued the high school because he'd been rendered a paraplegic. Why, you ask? Well, while he was in the process of burglarizing the school, had climbed up on the roof to find a way to get in, he apparently fell through a skylight. The school was held responsible for apparently not clearly demarcating skylights on the roof as unsafe for burglars. Anyway, we haven't read Philip K. Howard's book, but we do wonder about what it would be like to have life, maybe not without lawyers, but with a lot fewer of them. We may get to find out, according to the Sacramento Bee article last week, the professional school fees at University of California are going to go up in the wake of California's budget crisis. One thing that really struck me was the costs listed in the article for, uh, for a year in various professional schools. One-year law school, UC Berkeley, $31,000. One-year medical school at UC Davis or UCLA, $24,000. The costs projected show that the uh, medical school costs are going to probably go up about 24% over the next three years, whereas law school is going to go up uh, about 50%, which frankly, may not be such a bad thing. Of course, where I really have, have high hopes is the fact that a business degree, which at UC Berkeley is also about $31,000, also going to go up about 50%. And gee, how will America get by with all of those MBAs? I just don't know. Maybe we'll have to start paying the people that actually do the work. Anyway, we're overdue for a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Plenty more in the next couple segments. Don't go away. <laughs> 